Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, December 7th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The United States surpassing 282,000 deaths as most of California moves into lockdown and one of President Trump's closest advisors, Rudy Giuliani, tests positive for the coronavirus. Meanwhile, President Trump attending a rally in Georgia over the weekend after reports emerge of his continued efforts to subvert the presidential election by demanding the governor there try to overturn the results of the November vote in that state. And the incoming Biden administration nominating California's Attorney General Javier Becerra to lead the Health and Human Services Administration, the first Latino to lead the agency if confirmed. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The U.S. is averaging a staggering 186,000 new cases of coronavirus a day, and approximately 129 Americans are testing positive every single minute. This, as most of California is now back on lockdown, angering many. Dr. Fauci chiming in, saying it's a necessary measure. Lorraine Gassides has the latest on the pandemic here in the U.S. Seven days into December and the U.S. already recording 1.3 million new coronavirus cases. This pandemic is ravaging the country. We all need to take our precaution. According to the COVID tracking project, more than 100,000 COVID-19 patients have been hospitalized nationwide for the past five days. And the numbers don't include the expected surge after Thanksgiving. The gatherings that we saw in Thanksgiving will lead to a surge. It will happen this week and next week. And we cannot go into the holiday season, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa with this same kind of attitude that those those gatherings don't apply to me. They apply to everybody. In California, more than 30 million people are now under lockdown. This after hospital ICU capacity dropped to critically low levels in the southern part of the state. This is the greatest threat to life in Los Angeles that we have ever faced. On Sunday, Los Angeles County hitting a new record, reporting 10,000 new cases. Statewide, over 30,000 new infections were reported, pushing the state's total number to more than 1,300,000. The new restrictions ban gathering with anyone outside of your household until after Christmas. Non-essential businesses are closed and restaurants are limited to delivery and takeout. We cannot survive. My staff cannot survive. Look at this. Business owners are angry and afraid they won't survive another shutdown. We know COVID is real, but we also, you know, followed every protocol they wanted. And to shut us down with almost no notice before the holidays, with no funding, no way of, of, of surviving it, is cruel. I have been in discussion with the health authorities from the state of California who called me and asked, you know, they said, we feel we need to do this. What do you think? And I said, you know, you really don't have any choice when you have the challenge to the healthcare system. You've got to do something like that. Meanwhile, officials and medical institutions across the country racing to effectively implement protocols for vaccine distribution and administration. The vaccine could get the green light after an upcoming FDA hearing on Thursday. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but we will not all have the vaccine in our arms before May or June. So we need to be very cautious and vigilant. 
Dr. Anthony Fauci remains hopeful most Americans will have access to the vaccine by the summer, meaning kids and teachers could go back to school full time. I am hoping, and I think it's not an unreasonable hope, that by the time we get to the fall term, we can do that with a good degree of impunity. And shutdowns in California are expected to last at least three weeks. And meanwhile, British hospitals today received the vaccine and vaccinations will start there tomorrow. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And with the U.S. in desperate need of a vaccine, news that the first shipment of COVID-19 vaccines may fall short of expectations. The CDC is briefing states on how many doses will be in the initial shipment. But it looks like that number won't be enough to fully vaccinate those designated as top priority. A CDC panel recommended healthcare workers and nursing home residents receive the shots first. They add up to about 24 million people. Federal officials estimate about 40 million vaccines will be available if the FDA approves Moderna's and Pfizer's vaccine. Each person needs two doses to be vaccinated, meaning that's only enough for about 20 million people. And with time running out, a COVID-19 relief bill proposal could come as soon as today on Capitol Hill. It would provide roughly $300 in extra federal weekly unemployment benefits, but not another round of 1,200 direct payments to most Americans. The $908 billion aid package would be attached to a larger year-end spending bill needed to avert a government shutdown this coming weekend. The proposal also extends a freeze on evictions for people who cannot pay their rent and reauthorizes the Paycheck Protection Program to give a second round of subsidies to businesses struggling through the pandemic. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani has been at the heart of President Trump's legal fight to overturn the election results in key battleground states. But now Trump's attorney is in the hospital fighting the coronavirus while the president is reportedly considering a dramatic White House departure. Today, the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, remains in a Washington hospital diagnosed with the coronavirus. He's 76 years old and has a history of health complications. Giuliani says he's feeling good, recovering quickly and keeping up with everything. Last week, he traveled to Arizona, Michigan and Georgia, appearing mostly maskless at legislative meetings. That alone raises suspicion of fraud. The Trump campaign says the former New York City mayor tested negative before traveling to each state and that he did not experience any symptoms or test positive for COVID-19 until more than 48 hours after his return. But out of an abundance of caution, Arizona's legislature is now closing this week after at least 13 lawmakers were in close contact with him. Meanwhile, over the weekend in Georgia, and I want to say hello, Georgia. The president continued pushing his claims of election fraud while rallying support for two Republican senators in runoff races. Your governor could stop it very easily if he knew what the hell he was doing. He could stop it very easily. The president calling for the state's Republican governor to order a special session to overturn the results of the election, which show Joe Biden winning. However, Governor Kemp releasing this statement, declaring that holding a special session in order to select a separate slate of presidential electors is not an option that is allowed under state or federal law. 
And another shakeup in Washington may be on the horizon. The New York Times reporting that Attorney General William Barr is considering stepping down before Trump's term ends next month. Some say it may happen before the end of the year. And according to a new report from Axios, President Trump is not planning to attend Joe Biden's inauguration. Instead, Trump may be holding a rally in Florida instead that same day. In the meantime, President-elect Joe Biden has formally announced key members of the incoming administration's health team. California's Attorney General Javier Becerra has been nominated to Secretary of Health and Human Services. If confirmed, he would become the first Latino to head that agency. Edwin Piti has the latest on Biden's appointments from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Hey, Andrea, good to see you. President-elect Joe Biden has made official the nomination of those who will lead his administration's health team, starting with California's Attorney General Javier Becerra as Health and Human Services Secretary. Becerra was initially under consideration to become U.S. Attorney General, but when candidates with more health care experience were ruled out, Biden decided that he was fit to lead the health department in the middle of the pandemic. This nomination that would make his the first Latino to lead HHS is being celebrated by the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, who wrote a letter to Biden asking him to name more Hispanics in his cabinet. As California Attorney General, Becerra has brought more than 100 lawsuits against the Trump administration. He has stepped in to defend Obamacare when Trump refused to do so. So if confirmed by the Senate, Becerra, who has little health policy experience, will become the nation's leading defender of the Affordable Care Act, will regulate prescription drugs and oversee the government's sweeping Medicare and Medicaid insurance programs. Among others is Dr. Vivek Murthy, who has been tapped to serve as Surgeon General, a position he held under the Obama administration. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, an infectious disease specialist at Massachusetts General Hospital and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, will lead the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, known as CDC. Dr. Anthony Fauci will serve as a chief medical advisor to the president on COVID-19 and will continue to be the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Jeff Science and Natalie Quillen both serve under the Obama administration and will play important roles in the White House COVID-19 task force. And Dr. Marcela Nunez-Smith will be the chairwoman of the COVID-19 task force. She's an expert in healthcare disparities. Andrea, this announcement comes the same day when Joe Biden's transition team is receiving their first briefing from the Pentagon. We are talking about 47 meetings that could extend to Tuesday. Initially, there were reports by a former Pentagon official who said that the Department of Defense was blocking the Biden team from getting information from intelligence agencies. But the Pentagon strongly denied those accusations. They claim the delays in scheduling those meetings was because the Biden team didn't reach out through the proper channels. Instead of calling the Pentagon dire directly, they called several agencies such as the NSA and the Defense of Intelligence Agency. It is important to know that due to the coronavirus and the Biden transition team preferences, 90% of those meetings are being done virtually as opposed to taking place in the Pentagon. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. 
Thank you, Edwin, for all those details. What we are witnessing right now is a very diverse team. And one of the toughest foreign issues at the administration of President-elect Joe Biden will have to confront is Venezuela and Cuba, the only nations in the Western Hemisphere, along with Nicaragua, ruled by a single party. Well, today in Venezuela, embattled leader Nicolás Maduro hailed a gigantic electoral victory for his socialist party in parliamentary elections that took place over the weekend. It was a vote that was marred by an opposition boycott and low turnout. According to electoral officials, Maduro-aligned lawmakers clinched more than 65% of seats in the National Assembly, but with a voter turnout of 31%. Opposition leader Juan Guaidó, head of the current Congress, has criticized the vote as a fraud. And joining us now to discuss all this, the incoming Biden administration's policy towards Venezuela and Cuba is David Adams. He's a senior editor at Univision Digital, where he just published an in-depth analysis on this issue. Welcome, David. It's great to have you on. Uh, great to be here. Thanks, Andrea. So Maduro's party, like we just said, won parliamentary elections, cementing his grip on power. But under the Trump administration, the U.S. joined 50 other nations in recognizing Juan Guaido as Venezuela's rifle leader. Will the Biden administration maintain support for Juan Guaido? Um, well, I think uh, to begin with, uh, certainly. But it's questionable how sustainable that's going to be. Uh, very few people around the world except Maduro's allies are going to take seriously uh, or recognize the legitimacy of the elections on Sunday. Um, but it still leaves open the question as to what is, uh, which body is the legitimate National Assembly. You've already got a constituent assembly that was uh, created illegitimately by the Maduro regime. Um, the official um, expiration date of the current National Assembly that uh, Mr. Guaido heads is January the 5th. Um, so it's it's questionable what uh, legitimacy or what credibility uh, Guaido is going to have after January the 5th. Most people I've speak, spoken to say um, it's not a clear-cut issue at all, uh, and perhaps Guaido will continue in his role in some fashion or other. Now, we all remember when the Trump administration sought that quick solution in Venezuela by instigating an uprising, an uprising which never materialized. Is the Biden administration likely to go down that route? Um, I think the Biden administration is going to tread very carefully. Um, the situation uh, you know, is, is, is very fluid and there's so much uncertainty uh, that uh, it's unlikely that he will make any dramatic um, departures in policy. Uh, some sanctions probably will remain in place. In fact, you have to remember that it was the Obama regime that began, the, sorry, the Obama uh, administration that began uh, the original uh, regime, the policy of sanctions. Um, and uh, back in 2014, 2015, Trump obviously ramped those sanctions up enormously, uh, but sanctions on targeted sanctions on Venezuelan regime figures are very, very likely to remain in place. Um, and uh, perhaps uh, if there is some kind of diplomatic opening, um, these sanctions could perhaps become part of uh, a negotiation um, about a peaceful transition. The objective, I think, of the Trump administration and the Biden administration uh, is the same, a peaceful transition to democratic rule in Venezuela. The 
the methods and the the um, particularly the rhetoric i think is what we're going to see change most and now let's go ahead and shift gears. Let's go ahead and talk about Cuba. President Trump imposed sanctions on the island, including restrictions on travel. Is the Biden administration expected to lift those, among others? Uh, yes, on Cuba, it's a little bit clearer. Uh, President Biden, uh, President-elect Biden has made it clear um, that he will uh, roll back uh, some of the sanctions that President Trump introduced, particularly those that restrict uh, family travel for Cuban-Americans who want to visit their relatives in Cuba, and also uh, limitations on the remittances that they're allowed to send back to Cuba. that That's clear. That's probably going to happen quite quickly. Um, what happens beyond that is less clear. For example, will the Biden administration um, ease restrictions on travel for um, ordinary Americans, not Cuban-Americans? Um, under the Obama administration, remember, uh, there was a lot more freedom to travel uh, to for Americans to Cuba, not outright tourism uh, necessarily, but there were, for example, cruise ships um, that were sailing uh, from Florida to uh, Cuba. Um, will the Biden administration consider re-allowing uh, the cruise ships to return? The cruise ships have had a terrible time, obviously, with COVID-19. Uh, perhaps the Biden administration would like to give them uh, a bit of a boost as they get back into business sometime in 2021. Again, the administration, the new administration, administration is likely to move uh, slowly and, and carefully. So again, no, no um, huge steps, and certainly I don't think any automatic return completely to the uh, opening that uh, President Obama presided over with Cuba, but maybe more staffing perhaps in the U.S. Embassy in Havana too. Now, this is a very interesting conversation. We can go on and on for several minutes, but unfortunately, we have run out of time. Thank you so much for all your insight. David Adams from Univision Digital. Take care. My pleasure, Andrea. Thanks. And today marks the anniversary of a grim day in U.S. history. National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day honors those who died after Japan's attack on December 7, 1941. That attack prompting the United States to declare war on the island nation, pushing this country into World War II. Several battleships were damaged at the naval base at Pearl Harbor Day, including the USS Arizona and the USS Oklahoma, which both sunk. More than 3,500 Americans either died or were injured in a day that President Franklin Roosevelt called a day that will live in infamy. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And now to Miami, where a homeless man faced yet another setback when his beloved dog disappeared. But with a bit of luck and the help of his community, Pedro Carrion has once again been reunited with his canine companion. Take a look. 
His pleas were heard on social networks, in the media, and on the streets of Miami where Pedro Carrion has been wandering for several years after his only companion disappeared. My dog is everything in my life. I would give my life for him. If I'm asked to die by God or something else, I would say, take mine, but I don't want to see him die. After several days in desperation, he felt great relief after recovering his four-legged friend. Sky, he's all my life and happiness. Now that I got him back, still I feel like crying. His anguish began when he left his chihuahua tied up so he could go buy some food. I took him from here and from the neck I tightened it so he couldn't come out. But I made sure it wasn't that tight so it wouldn't strangle him. Everything was fine. But when he came back, Sky was gone. I love him beyond measure. After five years together, he says Sky is his only family. Today he was filled with happiness when the authorities handed Sky over to him. They didn't explain how they found him. I love him like a son. There are no words to say it. He's my everything. Reported by Danai Rivero in Miami, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.